I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Glenn Sumi is a Toronto-based arts writer and editor specializing in theatre. He was a writer at Toronto's Now magazine, covering theatre, comedy, and film for 25 years. Recently, he launched his own theatre website, So Sumi, where he reviews and writes about Toronto theatre. In this conversation, we talk about what drew him to reviewing theatre, his early days at Now, the Toronto theatre scene in general, and much more. Here's our conversation. The best place for us to start would just simply be what 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 is it that drew you to to reviewing? Wow, I know I've been doing it for so long. I've always had a lot of opinions, and I remember, I remember, like even in high school, um, people just saying, "You know, you have too many opinions." Are you, you know, almost like it was a bad thing, and I. Th- think when I figured out that you could actually have people made a living doing it, like it took me a while. I just right. didn't really, you know, you don't really understand how the world works and what real jobs are. <laughs> I was reading the Toronto Star and it was like a, the TV critic, I think, Jim Bodden. And I just thought, wow, this is his job. This is what he does for a living. Like, I love watching TV. I, I, have, <laughs> I love watching movies. So that was always in the back of my head. And then, um, you know, I guess when I went to university, I went to U of T, started writing for the, um, the student newspaper and just thought, I guess this is how you do it. They had a bunch of like people out in the real world who would come talk to us and tell the, tell us what, um, you know, their jobs were like. And I thought, Oh, you know what? This sounds, this sounds really interesting. Like, like, why not? Like, I love going to, plays i love seeing movies i love watching tv um uh, and i and again i had so many opinions so uh why not see if i could do it what i didn't realize was that you know there really even back then and we're talking you know like over a couple decades ago there were there were a handful of full-time 
jobs where you can make a decent living doing this. Um, and now, of course, it's just like, you know, you can count, you can count the number of jobs, uh, full-time jobs, I guess, for arts critics, mm-hmm. probably on one hand in the country. Yeah. Um, so I think I, you know, like I got, I, uh, I worked at, uh, the student newspaper, which was great practice. And it, because it was in Toronto too, I, I ended up dealing with, um, a lot of the publicists in theater that I would eventually, um, you know, deal with when I was so-called professional. So getting started in that way, um, you know, at this, at the, you know, having so many opinions and having, you know, the, you know, at the, at the student newspaper, um, what took it to the next step? Because, you know, like you said, uh, not everybody gets to take their opinions and, uh, have them published. So what, what took you to, uh, to, to the next level out of the newspaper? Uh, I guess I just, um, I guess I just started freelancing, you know, which is ironic because that's what I'm doing now. (laughs) So it's like, I've come full circle, baby. Um, But I just, you know, was starting out and doing whatever. Like I was writing about anything, not not just the arts. Like I was just, you know, trying to pay the bills. So word would get out along my freelancer, uh, among my freelance friends that, oh, you know, there's this publication called what was it called i think it was called family practice magazine or whatever (laughs) and it was a magazine that of you know like family doctors would subscribe to and and that you know it was like really it was like great glossy paper paper like tons of pharmaceutical ads and everything so and they paid really well and so uh i remember writing for them writing a few articles for them like pitching for them so it's just like basically anything that could pay in any medium too i did um radio spots i did these live radio spots on the cbc show called real time um when this must have been like in the late 90s or so where i would go out to things and just sort of basically report on them like pretty much live i think there was a little bit of a delay but uh but but live and so that was like really really exciting. Um, I wrote for like I eventually did end up writing for like TV guide like magazines and things. Um, Extra magazine was one of my first professional gigs. Hmm. I wrote about books um, and then and then you know and after I had been doing that for a while, uh, uh, the, the, there was an ad for a theater writer at Now Magazine. So that would, would have been in '97. And that really changed my life. So, yeah, yeah. Now you were you were writing about all of these things, and and uh, were you were you also revu- reviewing movies? Did you get to review TV shows? Like, what was what were the early days of of your your reviewing history like? No, you know, I mean, as, as a freelancer, somebody coming you know from the outside, I realized. I mean, you have to realize that most outlets are going to have a full-time, at least one full-time um, critic on mm. those beats. So really, if you were trying to, um, if you're trying to pitch a newspaper or a newspaper, you would have to come up with some angle that, you know, that the, that the, that the house critic didn't have. So for instance, um, yeah, what was it? I remember. Yeah, I, I think early on, I was going to. Um, 
I found out that there was like a, a young theater critics conference in Strasbourg, France. So I applied to that while I was still a young theater critic, um, which was totally fascinating. And you got to see like theater from all over the world, which is one of the things that I do miss about uh, theater in Toronto these days. We really don't get exposed to that much international theater. Um, but I knew that I was going to that. So I lined up, um, I can't remember. I, I, I called CBC Radio. And so I did a spot on that for them on this international conference and something else too. I think I did some, did something for one of the dailies, but, uh, but it had to be sort of something you couldn't just pitch like a review of this, you know, um, because the, the house critic would, would, um, you know, they, it would be theirs. Um, so you always had to be thinking of a different way, um, of a, of a different angle or, or whatever. I mean, I think, I think things are different now just because mm. so many, so many outlets don't have like perhaps a full-time critic. So, um, and there's more of an interest in, um, in people's experiences. So, you know, if I pitch an editor and say, well, you know, I have, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's this movie, uh, about Maria Callas or something coming up, mm. I think next year. And I know a lot about her. So I would, you know, that would, that would go a long way to me getting it. But back then it was really tough. And I remember too trying to, um, trying to use whatever, um, specialties I had and sort of being discouraged by some editors too. I remember one editor said, I said, you know, I can cover. LGBTQ, um, you know, uh, TV shows or films or whatever, and Asian themed things. And he said, you know, you really shouldn't, um, you shouldn't limit yourself to that. And I thought, oh, interesting. I mean, times have really changed because now, I mean, I've been an editor as well. I mean, I would love that kind Hmm. of special specialty, like somebody bringing that, um, Mm. especially if it's a, a voice or, you know, an underrepresented voice or mm-hmm. marginalized voice. Uh, I would think that would add some sort of authenticity to the section. Um, whereas back then, uh, early, not or late nineties, uh, early aughts, it was, yeah, it was a tougher sell. So. Mm. Uh, with, uh, now you, you mentioned, you know, having opinions <laughs> and, um, you know, it's important for a theater critic to have opinions, but, you know, a lot of us have opinions I and mean, we don't write them down and publish them um, because I don't think that you can just like write down your opinions. I think there's there, there's obviously right. more more to it. There's analysis, there's things like that. So mm-hmm. how do you how did you learn to go from just having opinions mm-hmm. to really analyzing and, 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 and laying out uh, a, like a thesis about a play or 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 a comedy uh, a show or anything like that? What how how did that come about for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I mean, I think it's just, it, it's all about seeing as much as possible. Um, you know, like you really, I remember too, like my editors, uh, editors that I had at Now Magazine, they would joke about young writers or new writers, people who, who hadn't reviewed, um, that much and they would come in and they would, instantly give something like five ends at, at now magazine we use this end system 
or right. one end. So they they would be so extreme, and uh, and a lot of it was just because they hadn't seen that much, so they really hadn't sort of sifted through. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess you know dozens, hundreds, and hundreds of things. Um, so you really do see, you know, what deserves that five end. Like I, you know, I remember giving out some five end things that I think in retrospect probably didn't deserve them, but they somehow squeaked through. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, Phil, it's one of the hardest things in the world Yeah, to, to come up with, uh, to come up with an argument about, well, first of all, to, to try to understand what an artist is trying to do you know, and make it, and you're not writing for the artist necessarily too, but you want to do it justice. You're writing for Mm. readers. You're writing for people who, you know, might go to a show, but to set it up in a interesting way and a lively way so that it's good reading. Mm. Um, and you know, I mean, I remember a science friend said to me, I think he was watching while I was writing review or going through it or tearing up my hair or something while I, when I still did have hair, he was saying, wow, this is like, it is like math or it's like science. Like you have to mm. provide a logical, um, you have to provide a logical reason or, a, you know, there's, there's logical thought that goes into this. You mm. can't just start analyzing things right off the bat, right? Like you have to bring them in in a way you have to, you know, with your lead. Uh, um, and you also, that's your chance of bringing in somebody who might not, uh, I'm talking about, you know, in the days of old newspaper, of mm-hmm. real newspapers, um, you might attract somebody with, you know, your opening sentence who might not even be interested in theater, who might not think right. about it. So, you know, that's, that's takes, takes a lot of work. Um, and then once you have them, you have to like set up, um, the premise or, you know, what you think the play is about. Um, and, uh, give a bit of, get, give a bit of synopsis, but not too much. You don't want to give everything away and then get into, um, you know, and then get into some specifics, but they're really, you know, I mean, that makes it sound formulaic, but it's, but it's really not each piece sort of has a different way will demand a different sort of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it can be hard work. And you know, the ones that are really hard are the ones that are right in the middle are the ones right. where you don't really feel strongly like you didn't love it. You didn't hate it, but there are some good things and you know, there's some things that don't quite work. And those are often the hardest ones to write just because you really don't feel strongly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how does, how can you make that sound interesting? Like in print? Yeah. You know? So often I find myself really struggling with those. And again, really amazing things like fantastic, like, I don't know, something like, Robert Lepage's lip sync. Everything is works so perfectly that you can't even single things out. Like to do that is to do it is not to do it justice. It's a and it's like sounds mechanical and this, you know. I mean, this thing just works so organically that you don't even want to analyze the parts. Hmm. But you know, again, you have to find some sort of way to yeah. to talk about it. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just it's. It's just as difficult as it was before, but now I think there are sort of tricks and now I know, okay, if I sit with this for long enough, something will come to me. Um, and of course, I've just seen hundreds, thousands, thousands of things. So, 
I kind of have ways of getting into pieces, but every now and then there will be something that just really stumps me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there are reasons, plenty of reasons not for, for somebody like me, not to, not to write reviews. I'm not particularly good at, listen, I can slag a show I don't like, you know, and that's, and I think anybody can do it. Right. And if you don't like a show, you can find all kinds of things to, to say about that mm-hmm. show. And even like, sometimes I'll watch a show and I don't like it. So then I start to try to like, why isn't it working for me? And mm-hmm. I'll think about that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's in some ways, like you were saying about, about, you know, a show that's really good. You can leave a show that's really good and just like, just repeat. Yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. So good. But that's not a review, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's actually harder. And, and of course those mediocre shows, the shows in the middle, yeah. um, you don't know what to say about those. Yeah. Um, again, you mentioned seeing thousands upon thousands of shows and, um, you know, in the days when you were writing for, for now, mm-hmm. um, I assume that the shows were assigned to you between yourself and John Kaplan. Yeah. I mean, John was really great about that and he didn't, uh, he, you know, he didn't say, Oh, I want these or whatever. And then you, you can take, you can take right. whatever I don't want. We would always just, it would just go back and forth. Like, you know, you know, what do you feel like saying or, you know, uh, and that, I think that's really rare. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and only occasionally because he had, he did have some really good friends in the yes. theater. Um, and you know, that's a whole other topic. Uh, but only occasionally would he say, Oh, you know, I'm really close to, you know, a couple of people in this cast. Do you mind reviewing that? And it would be fine. Of course. Yeah. Um, see, I think that's the right choice though. Like, like I know a bunch of people on this show. I don't feel I can be biased. Somebody else. I can, I can't be unbiased because I know these people, some, you should do it. And that seems like the, the ethical choice for reviewing the show. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that was great. And but again, you know, not as often as I thought. So I would say maybe a dozen times in, you know, in however, you know, in the mm. decades that we worked together. Did he ask that? And it was fine because, you know, ultimately, I mean, he saw more than probably anybody else did in the city. It's true. But um but ultimately, I would probably have got around to it anyway. Um mm-hmm. And you know, those I do miss those days of working uh not uh, yeah of working it now and also having john there but also having freelancers so mm-hmm. so other people could cover um could cover shows um and that's one of the things that i've had to sort of adjust to with the with the blog and the newsletter that i started mm-hmm. up is just having to i guess weigh in on everything whereas before i didn't have to you know it took it was stupid i didn't even think about this i thought why am i so why am i so burnt out it happened like (laughs) a couple of months ago and it's just like because i would see the same number of shows but i wouldn't have to necessarily write about them Mm -hmm. whereas because it's just me here i kind of have to weigh in um so i think going forward i may not do that um so i may just choose better or choose choose what to write about uh, more carefully but but again who knows i mean you know i do have things to say i do like supporting these smaller theaters too so if there's a way if i can you know just maybe not write as long on some of them um um but it did that was a surprise when it sort of kicked in and i thought oh yes because i would usually review a couple of things a week but i would see more and you know, I would just see them. I would catch up on them. Mm-hmm. Especially if, if 
my colleagues had really liked them. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd, I'd catch them throughout the run. I wouldn't necessarily have to see them on an opening week or whatever. Now that you are writing, you know, you're uh, under your own website. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, there is far too much in this city that's going on for one person to see. How do you make the choice about what it is that you, you do go to see and, and what you can't fit into the schedule? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I've, I've started, um, a couple of outlets have asked me to review for them. So I've been doing this freelance stuff. So that is often in the mix. And so even if I book something, if, um, a publication asks me to review, I'll probably change it just so that I can get paid for it. Um, but I do try to see everything. If I don't, if it's up to, you know, one show, and something else and somebody's seen somebody that i trust has seen it sometimes i'll slip into or slide into their dms and ask them hey is it worth seeing this <laughs> um you know um uh, but i mean yeah i mean again i have like a couple of decades of of practice doing this like uh so you know you find out when the run is you have little tricks like you know when are the matinees i've even gone into like student matinees sometimes like during the week if i mm. had like a, a weekday i i've asked before hey do you think i could go to that you know because nights are precious you know yeah. i mean nights every, all the shows are on so um so things like you know saturday matinees and sunday night sometimes if, mm. if shows have that i thought oh that's pretty rare um but but you know i miss things like you know readings and things like sometimes readings are on like a monday night or something yeah. like that um and i really do miss going to comedy like i remember you know pre-pandemic i would sometimes like on the weekend i would go to a play and then like a late night comedy show or something and then sometimes even a late night film after that um and i think because of the nature of the comedy clubs uh I, they're just so small and mm. um and i'm still trying to be covid cautious yeah i just haven't gone to them i've gone to the big ones um but uh, and also also because you know these comedy places exist too by serving drinks and food yeah. it's just like nobody's masked i mean no you yeah know, nobody's masked in the theater anyway these days but i'm pretty much always masked at the theater just because i you know i go to so many yeah and um yeah i mean i don't don't want to be felled by this thing but uh, but i really do miss comedy i miss sort of you know these packed like sardines into a small comedy club uh, I, like i i miss that a lot yeah yeah there's there's something magical about those spaces both in this like a small theater space when magic is happening mm-hmm. and also in a comedy space where something amazing is just like happening and the audience is like really on fire um and those oh, yeah. are like those rare special moments right yeah um now, I have to say, and, I, you know, I, I'm not going to talk about, like, all of the stuff that happened in Now Magazine, but I want to say that um, during the period, uh, uh, you know, uh, through the, 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 the 2020 through to when you started your own blog, um, on behalf of the theater community, uh, the fact that you were still writing for now and reviewing uh, meant a lot. And I know that a lot of people who are listening to this right now were shaking are nodding their heads because um, it was very much appreciated that even though all of that stuff was going down, that you were still 
seeing stuff and writing about it. So thank you for that. No, thanks. I mean, that, especially last year, um, when after we weren't being paid, uh, you know, and people had been taking sort of volunteer layoff to get um, EI. Um, I remember thinking, oh, you know what? I'm going to look at, I'm going to look at this site as almost as like a personal blog, personal theater blog. Cause I'll still, because at that point, you know, like in March 2022, right? Theater started up again. Like it was gradual, but you mm-hmm. know, they, there was a lot to see. So I started, um, I just thought, you know, um, I'm not getting paid, but let, I think I had it in the back of my mind that, um, eventually I would, I would begin something on my own. I probably should have done it a lot earlier, but this sort of gave me the practice. And I tried out certain ways of covering things like, you know, not having a post per show, but I would round up some things. I round up mm-hmm. two or three shows and have one post about that. Um, and it was just a way to get into the rhythm of doing that. Um, so I think it um, it really helped out. But if, mm. but again, you know, Phil, it's not like film where you could, you know, you can catch up when it comes out on Blu-ray or no. 4K. It's like theater is going to be gone. Like this, after this 10, 10 day run or three week run, you're not going to see it again. And if it does come back, if it does do well and somebody remounts, it's just, it's not going to be the same. The cast isn't going to be the same the energy. The space might even be bigger. So there's always that, you know, because there's just the, the FOMO of it all, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, if I miss this, it could be, it could be gone forever. So, it, you know, that has sort of been drilled into me. And so I remember thinking, oh, I should, I should see this. I should see this. I should write about it. So I wasn't even really, and you know, and we didn't know then that we wouldn't be paid for what, six, seven months or so. Right. Um, so it was just, uh, it was just what I knew. And mm-hmm. I, and again, I feel a loyalty to this, co- to this community. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, I've followed, I followed some of these artists, uh, you know, all their career, like generations. Um, so, uh, you know, and if you lose that, it's, it, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, yeah, I mean, I just, it was, I just wanted to continue doing what I was doing just because there was so much else that was changing. Um, and I was so grateful too for live theater to be coming back that I was, I was excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that feeling you describe of like something like once it's closed, it's gone. Like there's so many things that, you know, I've seen that I've tried to describe to somebody and tried to like capture the magic of it for somebody. And, and all I could say is like, it was pretty amazing and Mm -hmm. there's no way that you were ever going to be able to experience this thing, you know, and I've seen yeah. so many shows where, where that's been the case. Um, uh, and I, I, I'm glad that I saw them at the time, but you can't, it's the magic of theater and also the thing that, 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 that I don't think we capitalize enough on mm-hmm. the fact that like, this is an experience that's going to happen now and it's never going to happen again like this. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's why we love it so much, I think. And which yeah. is why it's so mysterious too. You know, like I have often thought, because you're also a different person when you, you were a different person when you saw that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember thinking, you know, when, when Daniel Brooks passed away too, there were some of his productions, some of the first productions of his that I had seen. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, wow, I would love to go back 
and see this thing in 1998 that I saw that totally blew me away. Mm. Um, and I can look at my review and that's, that's fine, but it just doesn't capture, uh, just the spirit, the essence of the piece. Um, so yeah, whereas with a film, you can, you can go back. And of course you are different, you're older, you see things that you didn't, but, um, but with theater, man, it's gone. Yeah. No. And of course, as we all know, yeah, like video versions of those plays, um, you know, like pro shots or whatever, they just, they don't capture that. They can't. They, they don't. And I remember, you know, in the thick of COVID when Disney plus released, uh, the, the, their filmed version of, of, of Hamilton, oh, Hamilton. Yeah. You know, I remember watching that and, you know, it was great to see people close up because when I saw it, I was really far back and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But I remember the more distinct thought that I had as I was watching that was, man, I miss being in an audience. Yeah. So you could sort of give the sense of what it's like to be there, but sitting in the audience is the unique perspective, not sitting on your couch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did. I think that was a really good um, capturing of mm-hmm. that show, though. Um, so I really liked how they did do that. It's almost like a model for how you could do um, you know, a stage show. Yeah. I mean, they had the budget for it because most of us yeah. only get to put like a, a camera at the back of the theater. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's all we get. And that's that's a little harder to to sell to people to like, hey, see my live streamed version of this show and this tiny camera at the back of the room doesn't really sell in the same way as, as that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But, you know, you film, like you said, like you you can always when you watch it, it is exactly the same. It's the same film. It's the same performance. It's always that you can always relive it. Um, and, uh, I'm curious because, you know, you've re- re- reviewed, uh, different things, but you, you've been reviewing theater for so long. Um, did you say we sort of like skirted around it earlier, but settling on theater as, as, as the primary thing that you were going to review, did that happen at now? Did that, when did that sort of start Mostly. to settle for you? Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I was hired as a theater writer, and then a couple of years later, maybe a year and a half later, they hired me as as an editor. I think I was associate editor of the entertainment section, and then a couple of years after that, I became the film editor too. But I think what happened, and I had to think about this too when I started the blog. I think what happened was that I realized that there are so many people writing about film um, that. Really, I, it wasn't, my contribution was just very small, whereas I thought that I could make a bigger contribution to writing about theater. Um, also, it just, I, you know, I like it so much more and it's just so much more honest. And I think that the artist's, um, intention behind it is honest. Cause I remember, especially when I started covering both of them, um, pretty equally, I remember thinking, Oh, you know, because you see, you see sequels in film and everything, and you see, you know, people just trying to make a quick buck, and you just don't, you don't see that <laughs> in the theater world. I mean, if only, right? Uh, I mean, you very rarely, even in commercial theater. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's the whole jukebox musical trend and everything like that, but that's not the bulk of the kind of theater that you see. You know, like the meat and potato sort of stuff that uh, that you see all the time. Yeah, but I remember. I think it's just the, the uh, just the um, you know theater artists uh, why they're doing it. Um, 
uh, how they're struggling to do it just is so inspiring from my perspective. Um, you know, that I thought, oh, this is just such a more interesting and exciting and immediate, uh, art form to be writing about. Mm. Um, and, and, um, I'm happy. I mean, the only thing that I really wish I could do more of is just, is see again, more international stuff mm. is, you know, because there's theater happening all, all over the world, you know, obviously, and not just, you know, in the English you know, speaking world, not just New York and London or whatever, mm. but everywhere. And so I just wish there was a way to bring in more, um, more international stuff. I mean, thankfully, the population of Toronto is mm-hmm. so eclectic and a lot of artists are coming from other countries and are bringing those stories and their techniques to us. And I think that's, that's really one of the most exciting things here, but. I just wish more like bigger companies came through as they used to with some mm. of the festivals. I don't know if you remember the World Stage Festival. I do. I do. Yeah. And that was, that was just extraordinary. And, but again, you need money, you know, yeah. you need you know, programming and those programmers really did have to go all over the world. Um, and see stuff. Um, good enough stuff to bring back here. But yeah, I mean that, you know. And again, because it's not going to exist, you know, I, you, yeah, you can't, you can't see like a tape of this. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, you know, maybe, maybe I will try to make it to more things, um, in, internationally, but again, cost money. Yeah. I mean, cost is really, I mean, it, everything, you know, theater is, I don't want to say it's changing because it's finding itself, but. You know, you hear stories about these these theaters in the states that are closing down. You hear theaters. You know, during the pandemic, we lost a couple of independent spaces in in Toronto. Um, money is 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 the difficult and the 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 hardest thing about producing theater, and no matter the scale, whether it's on like a world stage scale or or like a little indie theater like the Red Sandcastle mm-hmm. um, or the Assembly, they're both like mm. you know these are it, it's hard to find all of that. Um, but also as we look at the, the, the landscape of the, of the theater in Toronto, we've lost a lot of voices that write about theater mm-hmm. over the pandemic. Um, and, and, and even just before that, because like you mentioned, there, there aren't many full-time reviewers, mm-hmm. uh, for any of the newspapers, um, mostly they're freelancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that means that there's, there's fewer people who are just writing about it in general. And then you look at something like the Toronto Fringe Festival and, um, you know, sadly, uh, Megan Mooney had to stop producing Mooney on theater. Um, I remember last year's Fringe, there was like this mad scramble for where are the reviews, where are the reviews, where are the reviews? Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's so, I think we're finding some equilibrium, but are you seeing that as you're sort of, uh, uh, continuing on your, uh, your journey as a, as a, as, as a writer under your own website? Um, that there's sort of like a, do you see the ecosystem of, of people writing about theater becoming more healthy as we, as time goes on a little bit? I think, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's gone, it's gone digital. So, you know, the, the, a lot of the younger critics, um, have their own blogs, have their own sites. Um, and there's some really exciting writing out there, I think going on. And there are some training programs too, especially, um, you know, because uh, it's, it's 
in, in the past couple of decades, it's been a very, you know, white uh, field. There have been, you know, mostly white critics. Um, and I think, I think that is changing. There have been, you know, um, uh, BIPOC critics labs and things, um, some of which I've taken part in as, as a sort of mentor or guest speaker. Um, and that's really encouraging. Um, but again, I think there has to be a place for these emerging critics to, to write, um, and to get paid for their writing too. You know, it can't just be, you know, I know that we've been talking about, um, the sort of class structure and in, in the arts too, like it, you know, it can't just be for, for the wealthier people with inherited yeah. wealth or who've married somebody in a profession that you can, um, that can support your so-called, you know, hobby doing this. I mean, it'd be great if more people just made, made a living doing this, but I don't know. I mean, is the whole idea of a professional critic, is that even relevant anymore, you know, in the, in the era of social media, like hmm. where everybody has a, has a comment and, uh, and there are influencers around and, you know, I mean, there was a piece, what a couple of weeks ago about, about movie studios giving precedence now to, um, to so-called influencers mm -hmm. uh, covering films rather than traditional film critics. Um, because, you know, they have, many of them have massive, massive followings. Um, but they're not, you know, so, so I mean, yeah, they're going to be, you know, getting the word out about your film, but are they going to be putting that film into, you know, some sort of context? Are they going to, and are they going to be critical about it too? I mean, that, that was, uh, you know, and it does, that sort of thing does exist, I think, in theater criticism as well. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of, I, I won't name anybody, but, there are some critics who are more um, cheerleaders, yeah, um, or supporters. Don't want to say, um, don't want to say anything critical about shows. And does that really help? Does that really help the ecosystem? Does that help people? Um, I don't. You know, I'm not implying that you have to be mean, but you can be critical and mm -hmm. constructive. Um. But just to sort of answer your question, um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, Ashling Murphy at Intermission, mm. I think is so gifted, is so talented. Mm. Uh, Joshua Chong, who's my colleague at the star, uh, is really, really sm smart. Liam Donovan, um, is at Next Magazine. And mm. I think he has his own, um, or he had his own sort of theater blog as well. And I think he's even in university. So. Hmm. And they're all like Gen Z and they're doing just incredible work. And, you know, and a little bit older are people like Alana Lucas, who was at, uh, at Mooney, as hmm. was, uh, Ishvan Dugalin. He was at Mooney on hmm. theater as well. So, you know, they're well trained, but I mean, I, I look at any of them and I would respect, I would respect their work and I'm always seeking them out. Um, all, you know, cause I think the more, uh, the more viewpoints you have on a, on a, on a show, the better. And yeah. there's just sort of more, more dialogue. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. The dialogue aspect is really important because it shouldn't just be one, one critic's opinion that rules the, rules the roost for yeah. want of a better phrase, because theater is a conversation and there are, there, there should be more opinions and discussions. Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about, 
uh, uh, the cheerleading uh, reviewers. And I, I remember I was at, at a particular Fringe Festival a number of years ago, and I discovered that that's the way that all of the reviewers in that particular city uh, wrote their reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some really strong opinions about about the cheerleading aspect of it. If you don't want to say, if you don't want to be actually critical, if you just want to say that everything is amazing, you do mm-hmm. a disservice both to the audience and to the, to right. the performer. Um, because when the audience goes to a show that has been raved about mm-hmm. and it isn't really worthy of the raves, then they leave thinking, I guess I just don't understand theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the thing that we're, co- we are constantly trying yeah. to combat anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And they're going to feel alienated. Like, yeah. oh, obviously I didn't feel that. So maybe theater isn't for me. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, why not just not say anything if you didn't yeah. like it? Uh, and I've done that too. Yeah. Just, uh, especially for a young company, um, mm-hmm. that I just thought I may have just emailed them a few words, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to go on record, uh, and say, and, uh, write things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, we might, we might appear sort of like sort of mean and vicious, or whatever, but we do have, you know, we do have hearts. I remember early on, uh, having a, or coming to the conclusion that, yeah, I'm not going to, unless, I'm not going to say anything bad about young actors, for instance, like children, mm-hmm. right? Like say 10 or so. I'm, I'm, I'm not even bad, but just overly critical unless they are like the star of the show, unless it's mm-hmm. like an Annie or a Matilda or that right. sort of thing. Um, I will just leave out saying something. Um, because, you know, I think that that could probably. That could probably stay with that person for mm-hmm. a long time because you know, yeah. they just don't have the 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 defenses built up then and and perspective on on what they're doing. So um and so I've I've stayed with that for a while. Mm. Um and again, yeah, like young emerging companies, um, uh, I would rather point out the things that work than the than the things that don't. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think that's probably the better way to go with in with them. There's there's a sense I think sometimes uh, between the performer and the and the and the the critic, um, where there are some people who uh, want to fight about their review if they didn't agree with it, um, and there are other people who um, sort of, they, you know, they just take it in and they say, okay, I guess we have differing opinions or things like that. But I I think that there we generally don't have like a dialogue between between reviewer and, 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 and artist, Um, and maybe it's because of, you know, sometimes an artist's feelings get hurt and it's, they, they, they lash out. I think you got an email from somebody at some point, uh, that I think you talked about on, on Twitter about them, uh, 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 talking about a, a harsh review or something. Um, is, do you think there is a space for like a, like a friendly conversation between reviewer and, and critic, or is it better just to like take the, the review and just, let it be what it is and you accept that you have a differing opinion of, of, uh, than the critic as the artist. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I always want to be, I always want to be formed if I got something wrong, like a spelling of a name or something, or even like a plot point or something. And so I'm happy when people sort of point that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be great if there could be some sort of dialogue. And I think that with social media, there can be there, you know, there can be more responses and things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always the comment section. 
um, which I think can be a great, a great, a great way to see different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, and to learn a lot too. Um, mm. but I think in this case, the one that I, um, I think I posted about it on my blog too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, yeah, it was just, it was somebody who DM'd me or emailed me and just said that my writing was mean spirited and that other people thought it was too. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of got under my skin because I mm-hmm. thought I want, I, it, it made me question, am I mean-spirited? Because I remember the um, the phrase that he was referring to. I remember taking a lot of time around that, mm-hmm. um, just the wording of it. And, you know, I remember thinking in the show a couple of times before, you know, I mean, there wasn't just, it wasn't just one instance of it. Mm-hmm. Um but I thought, well, you know, this person is an adult. They've done this. Um, I think they've come back to theater recently. Mm. Um, but uh, I stand by this. I, st- you know, I, yeah, I mean, with 25 years of seeing theater, I stand by what I wrote about it. And I mm-hmm. don't think that that was mean spirited. Maybe I could have put it in, I could have added more context. Um, but that may have even just sort of, um, brought more attention to the one line. Um, and so it's going to be interesting because this person has a big show coming up in the fall. And so mm. I don't, Oh, he also said something about, well, I feel like I can tell you this because you get free tickets. I didn't mention that. <laughs> I didn't mention oh, that goodness. in the, uh, the post. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, hmm, am I going to be invited to this? Mm-mm. And if I'm not, I can always just buy buy a ticket uh, because as a freelancer now, I can expense these things, right? Right. Um, uh, and and what happens if uh, one of the papers, you know, assigns me to review this? I don't know. I, right. I'm going to have to think about this because it's going to be a pretty it's a pretty high profile show. Um, and this person is involved. So yeah, but I mean, you know, in 25 years. As that being one of the few times that that's happened, I find that really interesting. You know, I think that I think that says a lot about about you as a reviewer, to be mm-hmm. honest, um, because I think that you are fair, um, and I think that that anybody who has read your reviews over the years knows that you're not mean spirited. Um, just like just like you know, John Kaplan could be very you know he he could be blunt. Yeah, but yeah. he could also, you know, he did it with love because he loved theater. Yeah, you know, I remember he would occasionally, you know, if you sent him a, a press release, um, and you know, you'd made some errors, he'd be like, "Can I tell you about your press release?" He'd <laughs> give you notes on your press release. That's he did that to John, me a couple yeah. of times in the early days, and I was like, at first, I was like, "I don't know what this means," and it was just like he's just trying to help you. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. you know. Um, now, as we sort of sit at this time of the year, it's like the middle of August. The, the 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 mad frenzy of the of the Toronto Fringe Festival. Summerworks has just ended. Um, as we head into the fall, as things sort of ramp up for the fall, um, and we won't even talk about the madness that is November. Um, what does this time of year look like for you as a reviewer? Is it calmer? Is it is it a, a space 
where you can sort of like take a bit of a breath before things really get too busy in the fall or is it does it is it never ending for you yeah i mean i'm going to uh i'm going to be covering because there are still some Stratford and Shaw openings, and I actually missed some of the early ones mm. just because the season in Toronto was still going on mm-hmm. in May. Um, and also trying to get transportation to either of those places is always a challenge when you don't have a car. Um, so I'm actually, I've been assigned to review some things at the Shaw, some things at Stratford. I'm going to be covering, I think I'm going to be covering TIFF from one of the daily papers. Um, hmm. But, you know, most theaters know to stay away from that first, that first week after Labor Day, the first week right. and a half. Um, but yeah, I mean, traditionally it has been a sort of quieter time. Um, I've got, I've got a magazine piece that I've this just, I've just been working on for weeks now and I just want that to be over. It's theater related and it's fascinating. I mean, one of the great things about, um, I think about being a freelancer now is being able to choose what, what I write about. Um, and I've had to turn some things down. I've just been mm. so busy. Um, but, but like at now, or if, you know, if you're on staff somewhere, you can be pulled in so many different directions. First right. of all, you know, you're editing. And I loved editing. I love, that's really one of the things that I miss a lot. I loved working with writers. I loved assigning things to them, but also you're, you're drawn in or you're, you know, yeah, you're thrown into assignments that you might not necessarily want, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the, the reader's choice thing where you have to talk about the best masseur in Toronto or something. Right. So you have to interview them or the best yoga place or whatever. You know, I mean, they're not huge assignments, but they still take up take up Mm. some bandwidth or whatever so i kind of like um i kind of like no i really like just being able to choose what i what i do write about but i've also been thinking about you know just looking at the season that's coming up because i've one of the great things about um i've compiled this listing section in my in Mm. my um, on my site so I sort of get to see all these things that are coming up and you just sort of start thinking about ways that you can cover these shows in sort of more creative ways. Um, mm. So I like thinking in those terms, like if there are trends or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, traditionally spring, sort of the May, uh, May, June, early June um, and sort of August. Uh, yeah. After summer works and then right right before labor day have mm. traditionally been real dark periods for for theaters but i think a lot of other theater a lot of smart theater companies or theater people have realized that too and they've they've realized oh there are some empty theaters here so maybe we can uh, put on a show mm. so. yeah that's a fact for sure um now with with you know, 25 years of, of reviewing theater in the Toronto, uh, the Toronto sort of theater ecosystem. Um, I wonder if you have thoughts about what makes the Toronto theater scene unique. What makes it, uh, vibrant? What is it? How do you see the Toronto theater scene when you look at it and looking back on it? Wow. That's good. I'm fond of that really. What makes it unique? I mean, I think the population of Toronto, the the, uh, the demographics of the city, and I think that one of the best things about the 
the return after the pandemic has just been like a change in artistic leadership. And that's been reflected in the programming. We're talking, you know, uh, ethnic diversity, but also gender. And, um, you know, there, we, I just, we just saw like a, a deaf led production of, of the Scottish play. Mm -hmm. Um, just a lot more sensitivity, um, about what kind of audiences we're making theater for. So, you know, I, I would think that this, that this is unique in the country, um, just because the other, um, the other cities I don't think have as big, uh, as great a diversity. Um, Mm -hmm. the other thing too is, that is just the the other arts going on, you know, and I think I love mm. those um I love those collaborations, especially like with comedy and like with music, mm. like some of the things that um you know that Chris Abraham was doing at Crow's theater by bringing mm. in you know like indie rock musicians mm. putting on shows and so sort of cross pollinating these audiences I think that is that is so cool, and I think it's a great way to ensure that uh you know that um that both fields have that both art forms you know have uh, are exposed to different things um and just the comedy i mean having having second city here having mm-hmm. bad dog theater here and having um those people do theater um and tv and everything i think just really makes the scene um, just a lot more fun and, uh, yeah, it just brings so much variety to it. So yeah, I, I'm so glad that we've got, you know, that Toronto is as, apart from the just for laughs festival in Montreal. Right. I think that Toronto really is the comedy hub. I mean, ultimately we don't, that's just one of the saddest things I think in the country is that we just don't have the infrastructure in comedy to to support all of the talented comics mm. who are here in the country. And most of them leave for New York or LA or, yes. or even the UK too, where, you know, there's a longer tradition. Um, mm. But, uh, but man, I think uh, the scene would be so much sadder without that uh, right. element. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, and then having, Places like Stratford and Shaw too, and mm. so, so people can get this training and then come back or on the off season. You know, they can do shows like in the Novembers or whatever. They will often do it, or no, no, I guess before, before then, before they, yeah, no, November, November, no, after. It depends. November. I think it depends because yeah. I remember uh, the the Rocky Horror ran right well into November. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think January often you will see yeah. a lot of the the festival folks. <laughs> take a contract which is great because often yeah. you know people who don't go to those places don't get to see um you know these these fantastic um artists yeah well like you said it's hard to get there without a car yeah yeah i mean i wish i really wish that like the trains did a better yeah a better job of getting mm-hmm. these places uh especially since like traffic now too you know yeah. really like i'm going to um Niagara lake on Thursday, and it's just like, yeah, I'm leaving what four hours before. Yeah, you have before to. What is like basically, if everything's fine, it's basically like an hour and a half trip. Yeah, but you don't know exactly. Yeah, it's the, I remember the the year that the year that I did a show at the Hamilton Fringe Festival. Um, 
I left. I was we going to have like hours. Once the yeah. idea was I was going to have like three, four hours before I had to do a thing that that evening. It was like their big kickoff. Well, it took so long for us to drive there that I arrived just as the thing was starting. Oh, so you God. can't you can't. <laughs> You can't that that stretch uh, is is pretty rough. So yeah. it would be great to have a train that, that that took us there. Yeah, I remember coming back when they had the courthouse theater at Niagara in the Lake. I remember getting there right at whatever two o'clock, whatever, oh. and I had to pee like crazy. And I thought <laughs> I could go into the theater or I could go to the washroom. And I thought, no, I have to go to the washroom. Yeah, I'm just gonna burst. So I did, and I. <laughs> think i got in i think they let me like in the back or something like that but that was just the most painful of course yeah 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 no it's yeah the, the it's great to have those places they're very they're very close as long as everything time-wise gets you there well um and there's yeah. so much more in mm -hmm. the province too right like man i wish yeah i wish i could go to all these places and some people do like I know. Lynn Slotkin goes all over the place. Christopher Hoyle goes all over the place. Um, you know, and I think, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to have gone and see the the Donnelly's trilogy up at mm, uh, the Blythe yeah. Festival because I studied yeah. at a university and I've never, I've never seen a production. I've only read it, and I thought, oh, right. But yeah, there's yeah. you've got Blythe, you've got you've got Prescott. There's so many little theaters all over this province that that um we don't even because we're you know we're here and you need to travel to get to them i think they're not on a lot of people's radars but they do great work yeah well glenn i want to thank you so much for giving me some of your monday evening i uh, really appreciate uh, the time and thanks so much for the conversation thank you phil thanks for asking me this has been an episode of stageworthy Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember... If you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy.